This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing. But rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the Stacey West Podcast, we're on episode 257, can you believe it, my name is Gary, I am one of your regular hosts, another one of your regular hosts is Ben, he ain't with us today, another one of your regular hosts, regular hosts is Charlie, and he isn't with us today either, so by process of elimination, that means I've got Mr Lamming with me today, how are we doing sir? Hello, hello, very well indeed, thank you. Um, you must be getting a bit fed up with me now. That's twice you've had to spend some time on me in two days. Yeah, and tomorrow. Oh God, Christmas yeah. market. So I take sorry. it you're. Yeah, so so I, I just I mean obviously the listeners don't want to hear this, but are you you're out? Are you for a drink tomorrow night? Absolutely, absolutely. So it's rugby Christmas market tomorrow. So if you're listening to this before two o'clock on Saturday, um, pop along to rugby Christmas market, two till six. That's not what we're really going for. The Ivy Club has then got a band on called the Vaults. Uh, it's going to be a really busy night, I think, in rugby tomorrow. So quick plug for our local village Christmas market. We've got a lot to get through today, so we're not going to do too much chit-chat. Now, I did want to get a sound bite. We've got the pina colada one. I'm going to leave that one to one side. But I wanted to get something by mud, maybe. Chris, <laughs> yeah. Now we'll tell the story beforehand, and I think I'm better placed to tell the story than you are. Okay, because I was right next to it. Mm-hmm. So this set, this episode, we're going to talk about Cambridge in a minute. Brilliant, and we will overrun because I've said we need to do it in a certain time, and now I'm banging on a little bit. Um, so we we were invited down to the EPC, or I was invited down to the EPC. Chris came along with us, um, podcasting to meet Michael Scabala which is why some of you may have tuned in. We do have an exclusive interview with Michael Scabala later on in the podcast. And I'll put the timestamp in the description. So if you want to cut out all this rubbish of us talking, which is probably what my dad would say, listening to you talk about football, um, then you can do. So we pull up at the, the EPC. It's busy. That's the training ground, by the way. And it's the car park was busy, wasn't it, to be fair? Very busy, in which there was only one car parking space available. Well, it wasn't a car parking space, though, was it? Because yours it was actually was. on mine was, yes, yeah, mine was. 
yours yours wasn't um so chris attempted just to get on the end of a row of cars on the grass and as he pulled on there luke thornhill the media manager great guy set it up and was really good to us all day long um said oh people get stuck there if you want to park and pointed out another place and chris was like okay put the car in reverse and you were stuck weren't you i was i went nowhere so luke Heart said sank. can we give him a yeah, Luke said, can we give him a push? Now, I've got my new pretty green Harrington jacket on that I bought a couple of days ago when I was meant to be looking for people, Christmas presents for feet by me. Uh, so I've got one side of the car. Chris has got her. Uh, Chris, Luke has got the other side of the car. We start pushing it and it took a lot of pushing, but we got him moving backwards. And then Chris spun the wheel. And what happened, Chris? I covered Luke Thornhill, the media manager, in mud. And I mean covered. He was head covered. To you only got a little drop on you, didn't you? But he was I didn't get, yeah, covered any on head me at to all. toe. My, it's the first time I'd ever met Luke. Probably the last time as well. <laughs> oh, I felt so he, didn't bad. He took it. Didn't he take it in great spirit, though? Incredibly well. Yeah, I I wouldn't have. Fair no, play I to him. Been, I would have been a little bit more. So, Luke, if, if, if you can get in touch, I don't know if you'd listen. I don't know why you would. But if you can get in touch and let us know what you drink, I'll buy you uh, well, a bottle or multiple bottles of whatever it is that you drink. We will at the Stacey West, and we're not going to expect Chris to buy it, but we'll, um, yeah, so we'll, we'll sort a bottle of something out for Luke. Um, and for Chris, a copy of Tiger Feet <laughs> by Mud. So before we talk about Michael Scabala, the person, and listen to the words he's got to say, we're going to talk about Michael Scabala's team. And that's a team that went to Cambridge United on Tuesday night and recorded, I think, what can be described as a resounding, uncomfortable 3 0 victory that ended Mark Bonner's reign. It's the second Cambridge manager that we have got the sack um, in a row because Mark Bonner replaced Sean Derry, if I remember, and we got Sean Derry the sack on a cold night um, in uh, in Cambridge. I mean, from start to finish, it was a comprehensive performance, wasn't it, by Lincoln? Yeah, very much so. Particularly in the first half, I felt. I thought we absolutely dominated. Um, I was super impressed, just super impressed with so many aspects of our play. Um, we're going to touch on, obviously, our, our interview later with, with Michael Skibala, but one thing that I was just, just been so impressed with is how quickly things have changed as well, because he, he said he, he said he hadn't changed a lot. He's, he's, we asked him um, to give a little bit of a heads up here. We asked him one question was about what has he changed so far, hasn't had long, and he said not a lot, and then reeled off a list of quite a lot of things. Um, so, um, but it's really, but it's really apparent. It's just really apparent so far of, of, of how quickly the lads have kind of picked it up. And I, I'm, I'm really excited about the future. I really am. I know it's a short, small sample size. You can say things like new manager bounce, etc. But I think it's a little bit deeper than that. Um, but in terms of the first half, I just thought it was it was brilliant. But do we want to just touch on the the lineup first before we touch on the performance? Because I think there was something really interesting in the back three. Well, I think the big news was that we didn't bring Paulie O'Connor in. I think it's that we we stuck firm with Mitchell, Aoma, and Jackson. And and in the monthly um, article that I'm going to do, where Stacey West readers rank players, the top three are Mitchell, Aoma, and Jackson. I can't remember in which order. I think it's actually in that order, Mitchell, Aoma, and Jackson. So it's a big shout to not bring your captain back in. And there was a lot of discussion, I think, pre-game amongst supporters in that, well, he's got to come back in, he's your captain, he's, he's, you've got to have him in the side. I think he's every bit as good as those three players, by the way. Um, but I thought it showed a sense of loyalty towards good performances, and I think that's a positive trait to show as a head coach. 
I couldn't agree more. Yeah, uh, Pordy is an excellent centre back. We all we all know that. A little plug: Charlie and I have just finished recording our monthly show in which we we dig into the the statistics, the underlying numbers for all four of those centre backs in quite a bit of depth. It'll be a really interesting listen, hopefully. Um, but it kind of proves the point that they are kind of all have have real value. Um, not just in the squad, but actually compared to the rest of League One as well. But it was a, hu- a huge shout to not play a captain. Um, for me, it was. I agree with you. It was more a case of none of the the other three deserve to lose their place. They've all played really well, and they deserve to keep their place. Um, so I was really pleased to see them do so and have the opportunity to to get another performance under their belt, which they, which they all did, of course. So yeah, I, not I, I would not want this to come across in any way of thinking, oh, that means that we should, you know, that Pordy is now our fourth, a fourth choice centre back. I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's just, you know, it's, you take your chances when they're given to you, don't you, as a player, and, and the other three have done. So, Paulie's just got to be patient. Uh, and Ali Smith, I think it surprised many to see him starting. We keep saying things like out wide, but it's not out wide, is it, in this in this formation? I mean, it's a really tight front three that we play. Um, so, Ali Smith, probably not quite the square peg in the round hole that, maybe even the likes of me have made out when we say they're playing him on the wing. Um, but still a surprise after probably a tough run of form. Yeah, I think it says a lot, though, um, that he's the only player in the squad that's played in every single fixture this season in, in all competitions. There has to be something in that off the pitch as well as on it. Um, and sometimes, you know, I, I like to think I understand the game kind of out of possession quite a bit. But as a fan, you watch the ball a lot of the time, not all the time, but a lot of the time. You don't always see the out of possession stuff. and um, I just think for someone to be that to get that much game time and to have that much faith can given to him, it makes you think he, he really understands the role he has to play. And he's been played a lot of different roles, let's be honest. So maybe there's an element of trust in terms of the out of possession stuff there that, that maybe we don't always see quite as much. I think he can certainly be polished in possession. Um, I still think he's yet to find his best role. I think when we he first signed, we felt his best role would be partnering Ethan Arahan. Of course, this is before we we, we signed Hamilton. Um, I actually think his best role would probably be, be in a midfield three, to be honest, rather than either in a, in a 10 or in a six. He's probably an eight, isn't he? Let's be honest. We don't play eights at the moment. Um, so, yeah, I think he's probably the one that certainly in possession looks less settled in terms of our current system and our current shape. Um, I think it's harsh to say he played poorly or he struggled, I, 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 but I just don't think he's shone anywhere near as much as some other players have, have very much yeah. done so. Yeah. I'm not being critical of his performance against Cambridge, by the way. I mean, it seems inclusion prior to that. I think that, oh, he, of course, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think he's been he was one of the players against Barnsley that you looked at and just went, you know, you, you, you've you have had a not a mare, but you've had a, a tough game there, a tougher mm-hmm. game than perhaps uh, the players around you. I think it's probably a couple of things because I think that the big call would be, um, maybe people lots of people would like to have seen Dylan Duffy play in that role. I just don't think Dylan Duffy skill set suits that narrow at 10 role he's no. his it's best skill set is, is out wide yeah i think his best position is a position we don't play it's it's left yeah. wing in a, in, a, yeah. in, a, in a front three um but in our current system i think he's he's definitely more suited to a very attacking left wing back than he is number 10 and then that the only other realistic option i think that would leave us there would be hacks and i think hacks maybe has struggled a little bit um under Marcus Kubala so far um certainly off the ball because i don't i don't know about you but i've certainly noticed um, he seems a little bit less polished in the out of possession stuff, maybe compared to some of the other players. Um, and things have seemed just to slow down a tad when he's um, when he's been in possession. So, so yeah. So I don't want this to kind of come across as like 
really slating hacks because he's been a great player for us this season. But I think under Michael Scupola, he maybe has struggled a little bit more. So I think by process of elimination, almost like my inclusion on the podcast today, um, maybe Ali Smith starts in the <laughs> 10 role next to my, uh, Danny Mandrew. Yeah, possibly. I also, I mean, look, we, we don't want to go team selection too much more because we're 10 minutes in already. But I think Dylan Duffy getting the shout over Jaden Brown was a pretty big call as well. Yeah. Because, you know, Jaden, I actually thought Jaden came on and did well. And we could touch on that Agreed. a little bit later on. Um, but to be playing Dylan at left wing back, it, it feels a little bit to me like when Peterborough were playing Harry Anderson at wing back in 2016 17 and their fans were saying uh you know that's where he's got to play and then we we borrowed him and we're going oh he's definitely a winger because you kind of look at Dylan Duffy and think he's definitely a winger I think there's a wing back in there and look the game kind of for me almost turned on two moments early doors and Duffy was involved in one of them Uh, and there were two penalty shouts in quick succession now by the way you may I can't remember if I mentioned this or not but the referee David Rock the last time he was in charge of a Lincoln game was Port Vale at home last season when Daryl Clark got the sack um, the day after after a couple of controversial decisions as well. So David Rock, Lincoln City, it's a bad, bad combo. Hopefully when we play Stevenage at home next time, David Rock can take over and we can kick Steve Evans out of football for good. <laughs> um, so the, the, the first penalty, I can't remember which of them, but it was a, a Hadmi, wasn't it, who mm-hmm. is a bit of a handful, to be fair. And I think I think there's a real footballer in a, a Hadmi, if I'm honest. Um, and it was a borderline decision for me he's booked for diving i i think that it was do you know what if that happens against us you can look at it and kind of go i'm I'm not entirely sure that that's you you could be angry um and then we go up the next uh or, or probably five minutes later three minutes later and get a clear-cut penalty yeah how the how the turntables hey as they say uh, um, um, but uh, it, it, it was interesting because I my gut feeling when it first happened, obviously only watching on iFollow at the time, wasn't live. Um, we didn't get much of a replay either at the time, I don't think, um, was, oh, oh dear, <laughs> basically I thought that's a pen initially. Um, and that's just, the, your gut instinct, player goes there in the box, the ball doesn't look like it was a clean challenge. You think, oh dear. And then for the ref to kind of, and the ref was very confident in his decision as well. I'm... I think it's rare that you see a referee quite so confident about giving that um, as a as a as a dive rather than just a coming together certainly so early in a game as well. Um, so I think I'm willing to kind of go with the refs' decision here. Obviously, it's a good decision for us, but I'm not. I don't know. I haven't seen it that often. But at the time, my heart sank, and then I was obviously full of relief when it was given the other way, and it was given as a foul um, against our player, and it was given as a dive. And then, of course, yeah. A fantastic move as well, by the way, in the lead up to us getting a penalty. Yeah. So I've just watched the Ahadmi thing back. It's a penalty for me. And actually, TJ rolls it back. It's the first time I've watched it back in slow motion on Y Scout. TJ's rolled it back and two players have gone for the ball. It looks to me like Ahadmi's just touched it, just touched it past um, Jensen. And Jensen... But I don't know. Anyway, it wasn't given, so it's not a penalty, so it doesn't matter. What you've just said there, absolutely perfect. Absolutely spot on, because the move leading up for our penalty deserved a goal, in my opinion. Um, it was a lovely passing move. We were keeping possession. We were doing that. If we, we, we kind of probed a little bit, and then there was some interplay over on the left-hand side. I think the ball was Danny Mandroyu, wasn't it? That, Danny Mandroyu's role in that was... And Ethan Arahan, who received the ball deep and also progressed it a couple of times to find... I think he's the one that found Mandroyu. I was just super impressed with Danny Mandroyu's positioning 
actually yeah. in that in that role because he it was just his just brilliant technical execution of, of, of something he clearly understood the role he was playing found himself and it wasn't that he found himself by fluke it was he positioned himself in a position where he was surrounded by three um cambridge players but none of them were in sort of two or three yards of him and he received the ball with the correct body position so he could open his body and, and slide a really clever ball through to Dylan Duffy. Also credit to Dylan Duffy for playing a really quick one really run. carrying on his run. Yeah, yeah um, which made that decision easier. It, it, it gave Mandrew a little bit of space off one of those Cambridge defenders. But I just thought that just shows what Danny Mandrew can do. There's not many players in League One that have the positional awareness to find those half spaces with the you know, three players on him, yet he still found space with... with, 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 with three or four yards to, to play in and then to have that execution of playing the ball through there. And I was really impressed with anyone during on Tuesday night. Um, but yeah. Dylan Duffy obviously won what was absolutely a, a stonewall penalty. And I think what that actually points to is some really good coaching because it was almost a blueprint of the penalty on Saturday against Barnsley early doors. It was almost the same pass. It was almost the same run. But on that instance, it's Jack Burroughs. And, and you, you get the impression that it's early kind of indications of what, what's going to happen. Teams will suss out that little kind of pattern of play, etc., on that side of the pitch. We, I'd like to see us get something a little bit more on the right side of the pitch going as well. I don't think that he's particularly lopsided, but I think that Danny Mondroyo over on that side pulls the strings. I'd like to see the player in his position on the other side do that. I don't think we've discussed it. I don't think ideally that's Ali Smith. I don't actually think we've got anybody at the moment who can sit and play that position. No, I think the closest could, but I'm yeah, not entirely and maybe the sure. closest we'd have, not quite the same player, um, but the closest, and it's not fit, so it wouldn't help, but the closest that we've got would probably be, ha um, not Hack, sorry, it would be um, Rico Hackett. Um, slightly different player, um, but I think as a, when he comes as, back, as, 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 as a similar, a similar skill set in terms of um, good at taking the ball in tight areas. Uh, yeah. and, and not losing it. Uh, I think maybe his passing, maybe a vision might be uh, second to, to Mondroyo's because he's outstanding. But yeah, um, I agree. If, if we had two Danny Mondroyo's and one in, on that side in this, with a similar sort of relationship with, say, Lass Sorensen, as he's got with, in this case, Dillo on the left-hand side or, or Burroughs, then that would be, yeah, we'd be a real threat, wouldn't we? So we put the penalty away. Let's let's, let's move things on a little bit. We put the penalty away. Uh, and again, praising Danny Mondroyo, and I think it's absolutely pertinent to do so after the challenging time that he had through October. He doesn't have a side for his penalties, does he? It was to the keeper's right against Barnsley, to the keeper's left against um, Cambridge. And I don't think I've seen him miss a penalty in open play. When I say an open play, I mean outside of a shootout. I think he's missed one in a shootout. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah I, can't, I, can't, I can't remember him missing one. No, I can't either. He's very confident. He's a confident young man. Um, and after that, like you said, I think we just had absolute control mm -hmm. in the first half um we were just so comfortable going forward um ethan hamilton i think had a, a good drive forward and then we scored again from a corner and okay it's you know ball comes in it's headed away to be fair it's half decent defending but dylan duffy hanging around in the position that last Sorensen was hanging around in when we played charlton and we're lashing them in so then there's evidence of the kind of the positives that we were doing pre-Michael Scavala. And that's probably, you can look at Tom Shaw um, and I know Scott Fry works on it as well and, and kind of maybe a little bit of their poor prints on that, having seen it against Charlton. A little bit of luck, probably. I mean, the goalkeeper's going to, you know, he's going to look at himself for that. But 2-0 up away from home, you're comfortable, aren't you, at that stage? Yeah, it was a good strike from Dylan. You know, he's caught it sweetly. But yeah, even me, Mr... Uh... 
goalkeepers union can't really defend that goalkeeping sadly he's uh it's an error it is his a uh, happy birthday dylan dylan duck his birthday he's got, got a present from the goalkeeper didn't he but yeah from that point on until half time uh even when we were we we cambridge had well, it's strong saying they got back into the game because they, they really didn't have a lot of the ball. I think they, they, they did kind of up it a little bit towards the end of the first half, but at no point did I feel threatened at all, to be honest, in that first half. Well, to be honest, for the majority of the game, if I'm, if I'm brutally honest. I thought that they... I didn't think they had a spell particularly in the first half at all. I thought their spell came in the second half. I thought we came out after half-time... We were confident, we were in control, we had hold of the ball. I'm just wondering if we showed some tired legs. I think that began just to seep in um, through the as we went through the second half. Um, and that's not, again, it's not pointing fingers at anybody. It's not a lack of fitness. We, we What was that, our fourth game in? In two weeks. Ten days, yeah. Ten days. I mean, Michael Scavallo is generous because I think he said that's our fourth game in two weeks. And actually, when it's Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, it's actually only something like ten days. It's a, it was a ridiculous schedule. So you would expect players to be a little bit weary and a little bit kind of a little bit run down. And you actually, when you look at Cambridge's side as well with Elias Kachunga, um, I thought Kai Kai caused a couple of problems early doors. And, and you're know, listening into Radio Lincolnshire's commentary. Actually, you wouldn't think that we'd had as much control as we had. They're quite critical, I think, about some of the balls coming into the box and stuff like that, which you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think you see a game different when you're there. Yeah, of course you do. There was a couple of dangerous balls into the box right in the early stages of the game that Cambridge didn't get on the end of. But apart from that, there was, there was very little in the first half. I thought it was quite funny um, on the penalty move, on the commentary from BBC Radio Lincolnshire, there was a little bit of criticism about us not moving the ball quick enough and then three passes later we won a penalty. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic. We had such control for about a minute there. It must have been 20 yeah. plus passes. And I, I, I was thinking this is this is brilliant to watch. You know, we're in a really good place here. And then I can't remember who it was. We said we need to move the ball quicker. And then three minutes, three, three, three or four passes later, we moved the ball quickly into a into a really dangerous area because we've created the space to do so and won a penalty. It was Mark Hone. And do you know what? I like I like Mark. I do. He's a great guy. But my God, doesn't he sound like Billy Bragg? And anybody who doesn't know who Billy Bragg is, go YouTube now, Billy Bragg interview. And it, it's Mark Hone. I can almost imagine Mark Hone halfway through um, a, a, a song. Going, um, oh, no, what what's the new the lyrics to New England? I'm just looking. I'm one of those that's going to have to Google Billy Bragg. I'm afraid. Oh, you don't know who Billy Bragg is? You'll mm. like it. Billy Bragg was kind of um, a, a, he's a musician, guitar musician, mm-hmm. but deeply socialist musician from the early '80s. Kind of came through mm-hmm. as a young man, very anti-Thatcher. Gets called a champagne socialist because I think he's very well off now, but I quite like Billy Bragg. He did a song called Sexuality. No, Good. Da, da, I'll check it out. Wild and free. Anything uh, anyway. singing. Yeah, yeah. Anything to stop <laughs> me singing. Um, and then the third goal came. Um, I think, again, it, it, it was just nice um, nice to kind of put the, the gloss on it. You know, at 2-0, the game was done and dusted anyway. Um, but to get the uh, to get the final goal, final nail really, and Mark Bonner's coffin probably, but it just brought to an end, I think, a ten a ten game spell where you came home from Stevenage, you've lost one nil. It could be tough, it could be hard to adjust. And since then, two clean sheets, six goals scored. Okay, one penalty, but that's five goals from open play in three games. I just thought it, it just yeah, it just added the um, the cherry on the top of the cake. Yeah, we've been super impressive. It's only a small sample size, of course, but 
if you're looking at evidence, and that's the evidence that we have, we've hugely improved going forward, not just in terms of goals and, and, and just taking chances. It's creativity. Our XGs in those last four games is um, 1.56, I think. And in previous to that, it was 1.18. Like, it's been a huge, a huge, huge, huge increase um, in the last four games compared to the rest of the season. Um, and also, the last two games, we've we've created more than 2 XG. We hadn't done that at any point this season, put back-to-back games together where we've created more than 2 XG. Do you know what the last two games we did have back-to-back where we created more than 2 XG? I do not. Plymouth and Morecambe last year. Plymouth, <laughs> when we drew, I think they were back-to-back home games as well, weren't they? Plymouth at our place and then Morecambe. We beat Morecambe 2-1, didn't we? And then we, play, we played them on the Saturday and then we played them again on the Tuesday in the EFL Trophy, if I remember correctly. Well, I do remember correctly because I checked on Y Scout while you were talking a minute ago. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, good. well, there we go. But I think the point is, you know, it's it definitely um, added deserved gloss onto the scoreline because we were we were worthy of a three 0 victory. I think on, over the course of ninety minutes, and, and two goals is re- in, resulting from set pieces, which is just so pleasing, isn't it? Yeah, and it was. Um, I, I quite liked the final goal because. There was some criticism again on the radio, and I don't want to look like we're going in on Radio Lincolnshire because we're not. But when opinions put out there, like when we put our opinion out there, you're putting it out there to kind of be picked up on and, and commented on. And there was a moment where we looked a little bit ragged, and Mark was questioning the subs because it was TJ had shifted over to right back, if I remember correctly, and Pordy had yep. gone in the middle. And it was just this major change. And Mark was saying, I don't know why we needed to do that. We've made these subs it's since we've made these subs. And then with a, a, a couple of minutes later, I seem to think. Uh, was the did Jaden Brown win the corner? Um, yeah, and then Adelican delivered it. He Adelican took it. Paudio can't. O'Connor flicked it on, and Jack Vav finished it. It's just like, well, that's all four subs. Um, and just a, just a comment on Jaden Brown as well, because obviously I think Jaden has been a little bit like the forgotten man um, mm. for a while. But I get a sense that he, I get a sense that he's a player a little bit like TJ who needs to be loved in order to perform. And I wonder if under our previous head coach, without casting aspersions, there was a little bit of a lack of love that talking in interviews about them being like his kids wasn't really the case. Whereas with Michael, and as we're going to find out very soon, he's a very um, amiable person. He strikes me as somebody who is absolutely going to put every confidence in you. Jaden Brown's got ability. We know that. He's been at Sheffield Wednesday. He's been at Spurs. You don't play for those sorts of teams. You don't get moves to those sorts of teams, for instance, to Sheffield Wednesday, if you don't have ability. We know what TJ can do. Um, I I think he's the next one that could be revitalised by Michael Scobala, especially with how he, well, how Scobala likes to play with the wing-backs much, much higher. I just wonder if um, if Jaden Brown's the man on the up. Yeah, I agree. I really hope so as well. Um it's really interesting you mentioned TJ there because I think TJ has been a real standout under Michael Skibali and a confident TJ Omer is just a, a top player in League One. Yeah. I think a, a TJ Omer that hasn't got a lot of confidence maybe is, is kind of the opposite of that. But at the moment, he is absolutely shining. And yeah, hopefully Jaden Brown can can be of a, in, a, in a kind of similar, similar ilk, I suppose. So so fingers crossed. I don't know, it'll, it'll take a lot to kind of dislodge Dylan Duffy from that role at the moment, I think. Um, but as and when he gets his opportunity or if we change shape, which causes that, um, then, then yeah, I, I really hope to see, because he hasn't really had the chance to get a run in the team yet this season. You know, he's, he's played a little bit, but he's not had yeah. that sustained run in the team. Um, you can't play your best football without that, in fairness. Funny, you just said there, it'll take a lot to dislodge Dylan Duffy, but obviously against Barnsley the week before, Duffy was on the bench. 
Yeah, I mean after Jack after Lewis. his performance on Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, but do you know what? I I I think this is what Michael Scavald has kind of got to look forward to. And again, I'm going back to BBC Radio Lincolnshire commentary again, and and the late Orient game where Rob Makepeace said in the build-up, you know, that squad depth is gone now because we had youth team players on the bench, we had players suspended. But actually, this conversation is proving that it. It's absolutely there because you're going, well, it takes a lot to dislodge Dylan Duffy after one performance. But when Lass comes in and he goes to right back, Burroughs was doing exactly what Dylan Duffy does because he won the penalty, for instance, against Barnsley. Mm-hmm. Then you've got Jaden Brown can play there as well. Well, Burroughs can then go over to the right. TJ can now play on the right. You've got five or six centre-halves, any combination of which is good enough for this level. Okay, a little bit sparse dead in the centre of midfield, although Ali Smith, We've actually still got that depth. And when players start coming back, which they will, if I was League One, and League One isn't a general entity, but if League One was a general entity, um, and I was the other 23 clubs in League One, I'd be looking at Lincoln City and going, do you know what? They could be my dark horse for the top six here. Given given that we're going to make signings in January. I'm not sure I'd have said that at the end of Mark Candy's reign. I think a little bit that belief would have probably left. And let's be honest, Michael Scubala, Michael Scubala, and Tom Shaw previously to that, but Michael Scubala is using the same tools that Mark Kennedy had available to him. Yep. But we did and... say this at the end of September, at the end of August. And I think that's crucial. At the end of August, we both said, and we may not have said it out loud, and we may have said it to each other in private, or we may have said it on a podcast. I don't know. Mm. But we both said, you know what? We're building something here. And that was yeah, yeah. the squad. And I just, I think that they always talk about the final piece of a puzzle and you always go, ah, oh, a centre forward is the final piece of the puzzle, a right back, and blah, blah, blah. I've got a, a deep, deep feeling right now that Michael Scabala is the final piece of the puzzle. And I don't <laughs> I want to talk you. up too much. I don't want to. Because... Yeah, it's difficult though, because we had such a good experience yesterday with him, didn't we? Um, yeah, we did. And, and you know, obviously you're probably going to be a little bit biased in that regard because it was because it was so positive and also it was a privilege and you know we know it was a privilege for us so we probably want it to be successful and positive because it was a privilege but honestly and you guys will all listen to it in a few minutes time but um yeah i the more i hear him speak the more i watch us play and of course after yesterday as well i i agree 100 i think he can just elevate us to that next level so we let's talk about the other two things we've got on our list, and then we'll do oh, the yeah. interview. And yes, then we let's can do that because we it, it's hard because I think we're both blinded. We both stood in the EPC like ten-year-old children with all the grown-ups around, and we were kind of stood making you know the sort of small talk that we never do, kind of like and just look watching everything go on. And and we're yeah. grown-ass men. And the anyway, um, so we're talking about getting players back. One player that we're not going to be getting back quite as quickly as we hoped is Tyler Walker. We don't know for sure exactly what's happened, but it's suggested that there's been a relapse. He's been to see a specialist or a consultant, and we're waiting to see what that looks like. It is a blow, but to temper it, first of all, Joven actually looks like a first-team striker now, mm-hmm. um, which I think is positive. His his development has been very positive. The transfer window is coming up where we can recall Freddie Draper, and I think if Walker's injury is taken us into March and Ben House's injury is February, March... I think we recall Freddie Draper. Um, And we've got Jack Moylan coming in who can play centre-forward. He was playing that for Shelbourne, probably more likely to play in one of the roles behind, if anything. Um, So it's bad news for Tyler. 
but he's not somebody I don't think we can write him off. I don't think we can say, well, we signed a croc. I think he's had an awful, awful look. He's still have a big part to play in Lincoln City's future, but it's just a bit of a I think it's more of a personal blow right now. I mean, it's obviously a blow to the squad, but we're coming to the, you know, we're coming to the point where we can cover that, aren't we? Yeah, it's interesting. Just not many weeks ago, we were waiting for Tyler Walker to come back. We had fingers crossed that Jack Bell was going to hit the round ground running because he was our only option. Since then, Hax has done a good job up there when required. Vale's now fit. Um, Jovan's really improved and, and, and taken his opportunity to the point that, yes, Walker is now, sadly for him and sadly for the club, of course, taking a setback with his injury. But I don't think we've kind of put all our, all our hopes on him like maybe we expected to at this stage of the season. Um, so I think hopefully that also is, as much as this is a shame for Tyler, it takes a bit of the pressure off him as well. Um, because of the fact that we have those other options that are doing a good job. And for me, I'm going to change my mind for the second time and say absolutely 100% we bring Freddie Draper back and we play him. I was just going to ask that. Yeah, we recall. We recall. I actually think the best thing that we can do, and this is going to sound completely counterproductive, but is recall Freddie on the 1st of January. And then when it gets to the end of January, if one of those two players looks like they're coming back, get Jove in a National League club for the final three months of the season. Absolutely right. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I don't think that's silly at all. I think that makes total sense. I, I'll be honest, Joven has changed my mind in the space of four days. Because up until the Barnsley game, I'd seen glimpses, I'd seen elements, but for me, always lacked a little bit of strength. I felt you always, you know, he's not, you know, he, he, he needs a little bit of fine tuning. The boy's 19 years old and he absolutely terrified both of the Cambridge City defenders to the point where, I mean, he bullied one of them and then sat the other one on his ass with a shot in the second half, didn't he? This is <laughs> he Ryan Penny. He's played, he's played Premier League football. And this is a 19-year-old boy. I hadn't seen it. He's another that all of a sudden looks to have confidence in himself. And I think the... I'm kind of straying over into something else here. But I think the more that we see Michael Scobal as Lincoln City is the more that we see actually the Lincoln City that we should have been seeing earlier in the season. And it points a little bit more as to why we made the change around the head coach. Yeah. Because we've got certain players, Danny Mandroyu, we've talked about him, we've got certain players playing with confidence, certain players being given the opportunity. The opportunity that they have been given is wearing the red and white shirt with a traditional Lincoln Imp badge on. Uh, so that's very much the carving with a little Lincoln City sash. You love that segue. I can see how much you like that segue. I did. Um, as of today, as we're recording, there is a vote for all season ticket holders, I believe, gold, and even members, isn't it? If you're a yeah, so bronze, silver, and yeah, all three. Yeah, and yeah. junior imps and shareholders <laughs> to vote on whether we change the badge or not. Now, I'm absolutely imploring you, whoever you are listening, to vote to make a decision on which badge you prefer and vote. Because if the club give you the opportunity to vote, I think that that is a gift. I think that's something that, um, you know, as a supporter of the club, it's easy to complain about what the club do. If you don't want the badge to change, you should vote and say not for it to change. Because if then in three weeks' time we change the badge, I mean, it'd be the end of the season, and everyone goes, well, I didn't want that to happen. You didn't vote. You know, that's how the Tories get in. So anyway... Um, I shouldn't say that. We're not a political podcast. <laughs> um, 
so yes there's a vote it's between what we, i what i think people are calling the angular imp the retro imp but it's the imp that was on the shirt when we won the Vauxhall conference or we keep the what the imp we've got now so just quick i mean you're on the supporters board i know you've sworn to secrecy and all that sort of stuff but personally your opinion on it chris no personally i think it's a fantastic idea um, I'll be honest, it's the imp I'm more familiar with anyway. So I'm of the era where um, it, the badge, both badges that are proposed wasn't the badge when I um, first started watching the club. It was the LCFC with the crest, but it had that imp in the middle of it. Um, so that's the, that's the crest I've always known. Um, so that's the one I've always resonated with. Um, and then, of course, historically, it's, it's like you say, it's the one that we had when we won the won the or conference um so from a kind of a nostalgia perspective i think i think it gets my vote but also just from a slightly colder perspective i suppose from I mean, in terms of just branding marketing and also uh, we, we've seen some behind the scenes footage of, of sort of the, some of the plans that the the board have got in terms of maybe redeveloping the ground and some of those extra kind of finishing touches um a lot of those sort of things can be just a lot nicer and, and a lot more kind of um impactful um and Ooh, recognizable nice uh, and recognizable i think as well yeah. um with the with with the newer the newer version slash retro version the one that's proposed um so yeah i have to admit you know we i'm on the the fan advisory board and we we were we were, we were told about this obviously a little while ago um but we were gen and i have to say this about the fan advisory board because it is a genuinely open um, and welcoming environment to air your views and to ask honest questions and to get honest answers back. Like it's not, it's not just right. We want you to say this. It was a genuine. What is your opinion? We want to know what your opinion is. Let's talk about it. And there is a unanimous vote in the supporters board. Um, at the week, it was actually at the weekend before the Barnsley game was our most recent meeting, um, and that wasn't forced. It was, but it was. It's been discussion for us for a couple of months. Um, so yeah, it gets my vote for those reasons, um, and I think it's just uh, most important thing. I can only echo, echo what Gaza said: is if you've got an opinion either way, vote then. You know, vote because the club have come across this in not a way to try and force it, but they've done the research. They've 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 spoken to the the, the fan groups which are respected and are um, yeah kind of have, have a bit of an authority as well, I suppose, in regards to um, like the the community trust, Lady Imps, for example, and others. But they've come across this with a mentality of, um, we think this is a good idea, but what do you think? Um, rather, static, than, rather than force it, rather than yeah. kind of just pick it. So absolutely. Um, and when we're talking of opinions, Chris and I have got very, very strong opinions based on our conversation with Michael Scribala. Um, that's an interview that we'll go straight into after our ad break. So you will listen to an advert. You might, you might not. Depends if TalkSport have got any adverts for you to listen to. I won't be critical of them because Ben fell foul of that the other day when there was a Christmas appeal. And, uh, and afterwards he said that was somebody trying to sell you something. It wasn't all Christmas appeal. So that wasn't Ben being, he didn't know previously. Uh, so we'll go into an ad break. And when we come back, we will be, we'll be the EPC talking to Michael Scabala. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door, including my favourite, the Quarter Pounder with cheese. Mm. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery, so the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. 
Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Uh, it's Jaden Brown here, and you're listening to the Stacey West Podcast. So, Michael, first of all, thank you very much for your time. How have you found the first two weeks at Lincoln City? Um, thanks for having me. It's great um, to meet you guys, first and foremost, I think. Yeah, I keep saying the first two weeks have been an absolute whirlwind with the amount of games, getting to know new faces, um, getting to know the staff, the players. Um, but really enjoyed it, really pleased to be here, really enjoying every day, getting in the building and, uh, yeah, getting going, really, if you like. A good win against Cambridge helped, I imagine. Yeah, I think you know winning always helps, doesn't it? It always helps to move the players, everybody to settle a little bit. And I think a good win, but I also think a really strong performance, which is really pleasing. Wonderful. And is there anything about the club or the experience from the first two weeks that's kind of taken you a little by surprise? Um, the culture is really good. Like I knew I did uh, my own bit of research coming in and met people, but you know it's not really until you get through the doors you can really feel it. Everyone can tell you it's good, everyone can say it's good, but I think the leadership here is really under Liam and Jez is really good culturally, the, the lads, the staff, you know, really hard working. So it's a really um, exciting club to be part of. And, uh, you know, in you know, football terms, is I'm not going to say small, but it's smaller. We have to accept that. But actually, it's got all the bedrock and the foundations to move in the right direction, in my opinion, because of good people, good culture and hard working, which is, which is really important for football. Smashing, thank you. And this is kind of a non-football question from a head coach's perspective, a management perspective. What sort of non-football process do you adapt to coming into a new environment, assessing what's good, what's bad and that sort of thing? Um, I think for me, probably coming in and looking what's going on every day. So I've said to the staff, like, for the first couple of weeks, I'll just get on the grass, be myself, but also just observe a little bit and I'll get round to meet the staff and talk in more depth about the processes off the pitch that are going on but you know I think being with national teams being with Premier League teams working in that environment there's little things that I think the club can can improve on for everyday performance so for me it's always about how can we improve performance with little tweaks and little changes um, it doesn't need overhaul changes it needs little tweaks to keep moving you know ultimately the, the group of players and staff in the right direction so little things like that really that um you probably don't see on a Saturday, but actually help throughout the week. Do you have a little jotter pad full of notes? Or <laughs> <laughs> annotated with post-its? Correct, and secrets. <laughs> no, they're not secrets. It's, you know, it's, it's small things. It's small things like, we, you know, it's a really nice training ground. It's an amazing place to be. We've got our three pitches. You know, if we can use that in the maximum way, it actually improves over time. It's just, I don't want to say marginal games, because I think you have to have big blocks in, but there are little changes that we can do. You know, even like, I've set up a meeting room so I can have one-to-one meetings all the time with players in private and just little things that, without spending money, I think you can improve things. Um, 
So that's sort of where I've gone with to start off with. Smashing, thank you. Um, and given that it's not all about results, and pro uh, progress, etc. How will you measure your progress towards working towards your way of playing? How will you know if it's working and or going to work? Um, so, yeah, it's not all about results, but results give you some evidence, don't they? So I think it's a little bit to do with that. Um, there's definitely um, what training looks like and what the games look like. So if training and the games look similar, I think the lads understand that we're working in the right direction. Um, I think to some degree we've seen a bit of that already in terms of keeping the ball in the attacking half more. Um, and then over time, how we improve, you know, and introduce the evidence through stats and through different processes that we have behind the scenes to keep moving in the right direction. How we piece all those bits of evidence together um, will show us that we're moving in the right direction. And there'll be peaks and troughs, like always, but as long as the curve is upwards, not the curve if it's going upwards, we're going to get peaks and troughs and we're going to get, you know, injuries we have at the minute. But I think we'll see that, um, hopefully the team moving in the right direction. But as they're learning and as they're moving in the way that we want to play as a club now, they'll, they'll get things wrong. Um, but we've got to stay, stay the course sometimes, even though it might go wrong. You mentioned stats there. Are you an XG man? Because we love XG. Um, in context. In context, <laughs> yeah. I am a, a big sort of, I don't know if you want to say, I use stats, yes. I use evidence, yes. Um, but I take it within the context. I think there's a big difference between data and insight. And I think we've all got data at our hands as coaches from everywhere. Like, you know, stats bomb, instat, x stats, y scout. I use it all to form an evidence base and to form a game plan. Um, but then you have to come back from that and reflect on the game and reflect on what you were trying to do and what they were trying to do. So I think XG can lie sometimes um, and stats can definitely lie sometimes, as we know. Um, so it's more for me putting the context of how we want to play and put building the stats within that. But yes, definitely use it from behind the scenes. But um, how can I give an example of that? So, you know, the XG was quite good against Cambridge. But what that doesn't tell you is for 20 minutes of the first half um, we could have been better so that's what it doesn't tell you because the, the XG will tell you we're really good in that moment but I actually think with the ball we could have been better so you know you have to take for me you've always had to take stats in concept I've always used them even um, even the mainland days even working in the Premier League even doing the job I've always used stats to try and find an edge if you like I'm going to take that as validation for XG. That's <laughs> That's a, you can make quotes, say whatever you yeah, want as well. Yeah. So I'm having it's that. Worth the voice <laughs> it is now, yeah. yeah. Um, I put given your under 21 background, but it's kind of the university's background as well, I okay. think. It's given working with young people. What's the solution for what seems like a big jump from kind of under 18 football, youth football, to the first team, particularly at League One, where perhaps there isn't the budget for like an under 23s, etc.? Because um, it's pertinent for some younger players, maybe a bit away at 18, but then develop quickly when they get more. Um, I actually think there's pros and cons to the 21's programme so it, it, it does um, what's the word it does like make that jump or step a little bit easier at times from 18's, 21's into or 23's whatever we used to call it into seniors but then you can reflect and go well some 18 year olds can make the jump and they can jump straight through you've got Makai Osaka at Arsenal who's you know, been playing in the first team since 17 so there's pros and cons with 21s, in my in my opinion, and working within it. Um, and I think if they're good enough and they get the right support around them, you can see young 18-year-olds having an impact on the game. But uh, the one thing we can't get 
with 18s get carried away. Their performances are going to be up and down. They're not consistent, they're not senior pros. So if we haven't got the 18s, but we've got a development squad and we've got an 18s programme, then when they are when we are trying to develop them as a club, we have to be patient. Um, you know, we, I always say you can water three different plants of the same plants, they grow up different ways. And you've got to be careful that we just don't want the same thing from the same players all the time. And I think, you know, my expertise in that domain is I understand what they need when they need it. Um, and I think I can really help the young players in that sense. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I think so. I think I was thinking about the Bolton um, setup because I think they've gone for like a B team, haven't they? Yeah. They use that for rehabilitation as well. I didn't yeah. know if that was something that um, looked realistic for kind of that future transition within League One. Yeah, I think... If yeah, Bolton have gone gone through that, probably a bit more resource than we have. In, let's be honest, it's a big club. Um, I've seen that work really well at, at Bolton, at Brentford, um, but Brentford are now going back to an academy because of the UEFA rules. So um, I think there's, there's always pros and cons with any sort of B team under twenty one model. And I think in the future, I'm sure myself, Jez, and Liam, you know, we've already spoke about what does that look like. Um, but but obviously these things take time and steps to to get those in places. So. Something on the horizon, maybe. Smash, thank you. This was one from one of our listeners. Um, what should we as fans be looking for and really realistically expecting to see in the near future? I mean, it's quite open-ended, I think, in terms of both processes and results. Mm-hmm. Um, is that in terms of results or the pitch or off the pitch? Or? I, it's, I think probably from the way that it's worded, I would say off the pitch playing style. I know it's kind of touching on what you were answering last yeah, week. Okay. Is that in the short term or in the future? In the near future? Near future, yeah. yeah. How long is the near future? <laughs> Good question. Um, a team that will work hard um, off on the pitch. Um, hopefully you've seen a bit of that, you know, and again, winning is it's about winning, but we know we might not win a game or we not, but you they'll work hard for the shirt. Um, really passionate about that. You know, we're privileged to work in this game as footballers, as coaches. And when fans come and pay money, I think that's the first thing they want, is to see people working hard. So I'm really passionate about it. But also within our game model, I want them to work hard. So I want to be front-footed, and I'm speaking to the players this morning about you know, making quick decisions to try and get the ball back and things like that. So I think that's the, the way I like to play without being kamikaze. Um, and then can we improve all the time, which is a longer process, um, our ability with the ball as a team? Um, and then can, can we cause some damage, you know, and can we score goals and be excited? And yeah, I think that's, I like that way of playing. I, you know, I always think that's, without being kamikaze, without being silly, without, you know, just being completely open, and um, how can we be an exciting team that Lincoln fans are proud to watch, you know? Well, I think as a layman, you and I walking away from Barnsley felt for the first time that we were actually seeing that as well. So Absolutely, we yeah. saw straight we saw straight away. The whole thing where we said is that if that's the difference in what, just a week and a half, I think it's yeah, seeing just the steps that have taken, like that I'm sure you were the first to mention, I'm sure there's things that you you weren't happy with and you'd like to improve. But I think from us obviously having the experience of watching the last couple of seasons as well, there's a been a pretty big shift I'd say already. Okay. Um, which is obviously really pleasing. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty well the lads are working really hard, you know, they'll be really attentive and I think a lot of the stuff we've had to do is actually video work mm-hmm. uh, because of the way the games have been going at the minute. But um, So I'm showing the things we want on video. and Yeah, they've, they've tried to transfer. But again, like it could be peak and trough. So you could, 
look at Barnes and you think, wow, they look a different team. And then one day in the future, they might not look so different because they're off it a little bit. Yeah. And we have to be patient with the boys. And we have to be patient because, you know, they are, for me, a new group. And they've got to understand the way that we want to do things. And like any learning, there's good and bad in that. Um, but yeah, I think I'm so far so good, really, in some elements. But I, I said to them in the change rooms that um, I think you've got so much more growth in you. And that's what's really pleasing for me. Like you see, hopefully, a bit of improvement in certain aspects. But I feel like they can go another level, um, which is, you know, I suppose, my job to try and get them there. Really. Thank you very much. Um, so I think this is the last one from me, and it it's kind of really delving into because there's been a lot made of your background, unconventional, but also kind of getting so much different experience to bring. Lots made about the futsal. But I was interested, and it might be wrong if my research is wrong here. I'll edit it out. Um, that you had an advisory role with UEFA around twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, no, but that's actually something that carries on. Okay. So like, um, I haven't got the time now, but um, when in twenty twenty, so the way UEFA work is they. Um, employ consultants to send into other countries um, and work with their football strategy or their coach education or it could be a futsal development plan or a football development plan or um, so I sort of yeah do that as a consultant for UEFA really um, I haven't done it for a while because I've been too busy but in when I was with England I had a bit of time between things I'd get sent to I don't know, Estonia, for example, and I'll go and meet their technical director and help them with their football development plan and help them to coach their coaches and things like that and then yeah, that's your sort of, that's what that's what you have to do really, they send, I don't know, I don't want to call them experts, you know, but, you know they send people <laughs> yeah. to help other nations to develop their football infrastructure, quality, player development, that's where I sort of would go in, and, and even at times, you know, write courses for coach education that then get developed into like what you'd call the UEFA C and UEFA B, mm-hmm. so there might be someone like me behind the scenes writing a course that then gets sent out as content. Wow, okay. Smashing, thank you for that. Think it's wrong one for me. Oh, sorry, yeah, I've missed that. I've missed one. There's me going, day out. I'm listening too much and not reading my, I've been reading my cues. Uh, so just finally for me, yeah, in terms of your coaching role models, who do you admire as a young coach um, and who do you admire now and why? Um, that's a really good question. Um, who do I admire as a young coach? Oof. Um, awesome, Menger. I thought he was amazing. Um, what he did at Arsenal, I think I know it's Arsenal. Everyone says that, but you know, for the team that he had playing, I thought brilliant. And at the time, he had a playing background, so I think that was like for me. I, I stepped out of playing. I played in the conference, and then probably went to uni and didn't didn't make it professionally. And so when you look at your role models, you always attach yourself to somebody that you think, oh, he's done well, isn't he? Like, and he's not had a playing background. And then Mourinho came in and similar, and you started to see more non-playing coaches come in the game now but back then there wasn't too many so definitely Arsene Wenger and Jose um, were role models but I loved you know Bobby Robson I thought he was brilliant um, a brilliant role model and when you speak to coaches I speak to coaches now who played under him and as a man manager he you know everyone says he was the best um, so that's good and then more recently um, the Zerbi really interests me because I think there's little elements of my background in that game now. Um, how they, how he plays, um, he's, he's changing the game again. Obviously, Pep changed the game. Um, but I really like, you know, probably people will disagree with this, but I think Gareth is a brilliant leader, and I know Gareth a bit closer. And for all you know, people like him or don't like him, I think his leadership style is fantastic for the pressure and the role he's under. And I think his number two, Steve Holland, is one hell of a coach. 
and I haven't seen many better than Steve in terms of on the grass. So people won't necessarily know him, but I think that's cool, right? Yeah, because he's an absolute master in his job. And when you watch him work, it's like, Phew, this guy's amazing. So yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. I haven't um, missed one now, but we can. I can move on. So I've probably got maybe two or three more, more kind of coaching related questions, yeah, if, cool. that's, if that's okay. Because um, as, as you mentioned off air, um, I think well, I think all of us on the Stacey West went down some Michael Skibola shaped rabbit holes. Everything was announced. Don't go down there. Oh, we're too late now. Um, but there's one thing that well, a couple of interviews that, that I saw that really kind of resonated and kind of took me an interest in something. Um, you're related to something called PDA, which is for perception, decision, and action. In terms of, it's almost like looking at the whole picture, isn't it? When in your, in your coaching, and it really resonated with me. And I suppose the question I've got is, particularly coming in mid-season without the luxury of a pre-season, helping players see the 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 the, 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 the part of the game that, that you're working on to then make a snap session decision and also have the technical ability to to then perform it. I'm just really interested in how do you go about that kind of mid-season to try and encompass all three of those elements because I imagine some of them are more important for some players than others. Yeah, um, I suppose you're alluding to sort of maybe something that I, I don't want to say, it's something I process in my head when I'm looking and working with players. Mm -hmm. So I believe that before you make an action, you need to make a decision. Before you make a decision, you need to see it. Mm-hmm. So, like, which area do we coach the players in? Do we coach them in action? Do we coach them in decisions? Or do you coach them actually at perceiving the game? So, um, it's something I've used for many years, and we've always used like in coaching. If you want to get a bit deeper into like um, decision action coupling, mm-hmm. but I think in football, like, you've got to know, you've got to see the pictures quick to be able to make the decision quick to be able to then execute the technical things. And we're really honed in in football in the technical action, aren't we? Mm-hmm. That's the thing that we see. That's the thing that we think mistakes are happening. But actually, what if a young player is making really good decisions, but the technical's just not there yet? Where's the mistake happening? Well, it's happening in the technical. But what if the technical's happening, but the decisions are really wrong for what we want to do? So, and then before that, I actually go to the layer before that is the perception stuff. So, is it the player's not making the right decision? Is it the player's not making the right technical action, or is his body shape wrong to not allow him to do those things? So simple, like I in my head, I chunk player development. It's probably you're probably getting the secret of the job, really. You probably <laughs> this is how I chunk player development. So this is how I look at young players, and you can have some really good young talent. They're technically brilliant on the ball, but their decision making is poor. So I think I have to spend my time helping them with the decision making, and then you can have some more good young players, and you've seen them all, you know, working with young players. They're really good on the ball, but they they get into tight areas and they can't pass forward, and then they're dealing with the ball and they get out of it sometimes. But as the game gets harder their perception and body orientation needs to improve because the game gets faster, physical, more harder. So I suppose it's more that's more of my own coaching process where I would look at all players, really. We all want the technical better players. We all want technical. Not everyone wants that, right? Mm-hmm. And that's probably the thing that costs millions and millions. But how can I add a little value in those other areas to, to get them playing? That's really interesting. Um, I think that kind of leads on to this last question, so we'll, we'll split the order here a little bit because... I think we've all witnessed those players that are kind of su- superbly technically talented, but maybe don't seem to understand the game maybe in as much depth until arguably it's too late where they're maybe in a physical decline. 
I yeah. maybe the, I'm guessing the secret to coaching is how do you get them to understand the game sooner? I'm guessing that's, yeah. that's the key. So I'm just wondering, you've probably kind of already answered it, but it just seems that you have a real importance on, on that psychological side of the game as well, without obviously giving any secrets away. I'm just really interested to know the, if there's any just coaching methods. You mentioned the video room a bit there, because I think our perception of training is always just out on the pitch with the kind of technical and tactical, the action side of it. So I'm just wondering kind of what sort of things can you work on to help those players get it through? And this isn't necessarily just young players. Um, well, he mentioned Deserby. Uh, Lewis Dunk has mentioned that you know, he perceives the game so much differently now since working with Deserby than he did when he was when he was younger. And he's obviously in his thirties now. So I'm just really interested to know kind of just that side of the game, really, how you might do that on the training ground or maybe in the in the video room. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a big believer in the question why. Like, um, so when you're talking about football is why do we want to do this? So you give them the why and then help them with the challenge and the support. Mm -hmm. So why do I want you to do this as a player or why does a team need you to do this? Once you get under the why, then you can go, right, are you doing it good and bad? How do we help you with that on the training pitch? And the game is always high challenge because the game is training. It should always be high challenge, but then off the pitch, individual meetings, individual clips, team meetings, good, bad, indifferent, why did that not work, what were you trying, and a dialogue around that, because it's easy for us to say, do this, mm -hmm. and you think they'll do it, but actually they're making a decision in that moment, why are you doing this, well I saw that, I said, okay, but what is this not better, so there's a lot of, I don't know what you'd call it, there's a lot of off pit, I call it dry coaching, <laughs> and it's probably from a Loughborough days, the swimming, swimming used to call it the you know, wet and dry coaching, mm -hmm. because I have it, so when I was in Loughborough, I was around lots of different sports, and they called it you coaching twenty four seven. It's just dry and wet, and in the pool you're wet, and everything else is off the off off the side. They call it dry, so I call it dry coaching. So video one to ones, conversations mm -hmm. like around anything in the gym. How does it connect, and why are we doing it? Rather than we're just doing it, and, and I think that way you get to a level of understanding with the players. They understand why, and in the end, they come to you going, "Yeah, I could have better here." I know what you want to do, um, and that's where you know you're in a good place mm. when you get team to that place where actually they're self-reviewing, knowing why. Yeah, so kind of taking accountability for the kind of roles in the bigger picture. I'm guessing ownership and accountability that's comes with that for sure. So ownership and accountability is a massive part of that, and it's a massive part for me that um, they play the game, mm -hmm. not me, and so they have to take ownership of it within. I call it freedom within a framework. Like you've got to have a framework, you've got to have a way of playing, you've got to have a model for them to understand so that then they can build those processes and play how you want to play. And then the freedom within that is the exciting bit, mm -hmm. but not coming too off track either because I've got to play within a team. They've got to be good. And I always say to them, first you've got to be a good teammate. And then after that, we can go into the other stuff. Brilliant, thank you. Um, and then last to finish with, you mentioned in some of your early interviews with the local media, um, and you kind of touched on it earlier about making tweaks. So you mentioned it being kind of evolution rather than, than, than yeah. revolution. So just wondering, in, in the short time you've been able to, to be part of things here, what do you feel you have been able to add um, in that regard? So what little tweaks maybe have you been able to make in the short time so far? On the grass, you mean, or off the grass? Any. Um, um, I'll be honest, there's some good little tweaks where I think we've got two penalties off, but they're quite subtle to see. Um, so I don't want to give them away, apologies. That's yeah, absolutely fine. Um, but I would say connecting the game with the grass, training, 
to definitely like what we do in training. We say it sounds silly, but I think sometimes they can be disconnected too much. So making sure that what we do on the grass, we want to see in the game, because otherwise, then why are we coming to work? You know. So um, definitely, that's a tweak where I've really challenged them with that. Like, how can we be brave? And, and and then also, what comes with that is a high challenge in training. And I think the tweak I've made is the intensity in which we train. Um, worked hard, and we're having discussions all the time with the physical staff. Um, they're they're brilliant. Their character's brilliant. They'll run all day. But sometimes I would like more intensity in what we do. And maybe that's coming from a Premier League club where I've seen the level of the intensity. And if we can get the and it will take time. It will take a long time because you can't just say I want more. You have to physically grow that base. Uh, we have to be careful so we don't get more injuries. Um, but I'd say yeah, definitely playing with a bit more intensity with and without the ball. Um, so that's probably something I've tweaked, if you like. But again, you can't radically change that because mm-hmm. we pick up injuries all over the place. So. Um, what else were the tweets? Um, yeah, tactical things. Um, asking players to stay on the ball longer sometimes to entice people and then play through. Mm-hmm. So that's more of a generic one. No, it's that with the centre backs. Yeah. So um, Alex Mitchell putting his foot on the ball. Yeah. Typical yeah. Deserby style. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I guess that's more futsal than Deserby. Well, it's more like how, how he does it. Like, mm. again, this is the reason why I want you to do it. Mm-hmm. How you do it is up to you a little bit okay. because. I don't want to go too much down that rabbit hole, as you say, because mm-hmm. they're making the decisions. So if I overload them with stuff like that, it's, so him, that's his choice. Okay. But the process of slowing the game down to bring them across, hit a diag, is really important. Um, but at the minute, it's how you do that is you know, the reason why we're doing it is the most important thing. Um, more like, I want to say like, getting bodies in the box, trying to be, you know, be brave. If we've got all the pitch and we're committing bodies, then we're all right. So little things like, I call them principles, more so than big tactical stuff. So I've been working hard on the principles. Um, yeah, on the pitch and off the pitch. Not, not too much, really. Like little things like, um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, little things like discipline and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm a big believer in some of the old school values without being... You know, like no hats when we're training, like football. Like it sounds silly, but you know, I think there's certain little things that will improve our daily work. Smashing. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's really appreciated. We're really looking forward to seeing the Skabala era get well underway. And uh, we'll speak to you again soon. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Very much, Michael. I'm Adam Jackson, and this is the Stacey West podcast. So that was myself and Chris at the EPC with Michael Skabala. Um. We are quite a way into the podcast at the moment, so we'll we'll kind of give a quick overview. Um, I've written a little bit to accompany this, which will go out on the website. Um, but it's really important to say that if I didn't like Michael Scavala, um, I wouldn't tell you as listeners, uh, because there was a previous manager who I met who I didn't particularly warm to the first time, but it would be really um, counterproductive of us to come on and go, well, we've met the new manager. He's a cock, isn't he? You, you kind of, you wouldn't do it. I would come on and I would look at some of the positives, some of the things that they'd said. So if I didn't come on and go, I really like Michael Scavala, but I was saying other positives, you could infer the fact that maybe it was, you know, on a personal level. Um, but that's absolutely not the case because from the first second he walked into the press room, um, he just came across as a, 
a warm and open person. Um, I've, I've called him unassuming because there's no kind of uh, there's no Billy Big Bollocks about him. Like he hasn't played Premier League football. He hasn't been managed by the biggest managers in the game. And I'm not saying that that's not me saying that other managers have that, but you get an air when you've been around the game that much. You've got an air. Michael Appleton had an air. Mark Kennedy had an air um, about them in the way that they handled themselves. Whereas with Michael Scabala, there isn't that air. There's just a, a really grounded guy who's not put when you talk about putting in the hard yards. Our previous head coach talked about putting in the hard yards starting at the under nines. Michael Scabala's put in all manner of hard yards coming up through a really unique pathway. Um, <laughs> and, but I think it reflects in the different types of people that he would have worked with through universities, working with England, working in a little bit in the Premier League, working with the seniors in the Premier League, working with the under... The, he, he, he's, a, he's a people person first and foremost but he's an absolutely brilliant coach at the top of his game. I haven't been coached by him, but you only have to listen to what he says. You only have to listen to his bit about UEFA, which I think has been a woefully overlooked part of his CV. No one's mentioned it. No one's asked him and no one's mentioned it. And I was looking at it and thinking, I want to know what that is. And then he tells you and he's, oh, it's basically, and he didn't say this, you've just listened to it, but it's basically where they send the best of the best to other countries so that countries, other countries can become better. And that's, that's the person who's in charge of our coaching at Lincoln City. Uh, phenomenal. I mean, uh, yeah, I could go on about it all day because he really impressed me as a person, but I know he impressed you as a coach as well. Well, both. As, as a person, first and foremost. And that, and for me, that's always the most important part, genuinely. I think if you're a dickhead and you're a good coach, then you, you're going you're to you're alienate people, aren't you? And um, for me, who you are as a person is just so important. And he was just so welcoming. He was open. He was calm. He was warm. But he was also incredibly intelligent, and he just he knew, he knows what he's doing. The guy knows what he's doing, and that's kind of what I got. I, I, I can't think of a kind of a more um, a kind of a kind of a better way of putting it, other than he's just super. Um, oh, I don't know what to say, other than I was really impressed. He knows what he's doing, and, <laughs> and he's, he's really good. But yeah, I liked him a lot. Um, but from a coaching that... perspective, um, it was the depth that he answered those questions. And yeah. obviously, everyone that listens to this knows that you know that's. I'm a nerd and I like, I like that. Certainly the tactical side of the game. And, um, but what I really, from the tactical, my understanding of that tactical side of the game is that's the most difficult to get right because you need everyone to be pulling together and to react to everything at the same time. And the more possession you have and the more forward thinking you are, the more important that is when you're really direct, like let's think like 90s standard uh, football, you know, the, the traditional 4-4-2 kind of midfield as a war zone, the tactical side of it, and therefore the understanding of those kind of small nuances in the game is less important. Um, the more possession you have and the more you want to control a game and the more you want to press out of possession, the more the other team has possession, it is a much more tactical game now than it ever has been. So that's why I'm always so interested in that side of it. And it's and his answer Matt, to the... listening, he won't have that <laughs> off you. Football's easy and you overcomplicate it. That's what Matt Wall says. Well, I'll happily have a discussion with him about it. <laughs> I'll look forward yeah. to that in the pub tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, football is a simple game, but it, yeah. it's more complicated now than it was previously at the elite level. Definitely, I, I will not be corrected on that by anybody. I'm afraid. Um, but I was just really impressed with all his answers, and and then he was willing to have a photograph after. You know, after we finished recording, he was happy to have yeah. a chat for a few minutes afterwards as well. 
And it was just, yeah, no, no point. And this is the first time I've ever met that manager. You've done it a few times. The first time I've ever done it. And I was really excited, but um, of course, maybe a little nervous going into it. And then as soon as it started, I wasn't, I genuinely wasn't nervous at all. I was just glued to his answers. I was terrified, but I get that every time. I get it when I interview players. That's part of the kind of the, you know, anxiety around that sort of thing. And I put the questions down and I read them thinking, are they, are they, crap questions and actually then we both got a that's a good question because he said that about coaching role models it was the one i nearly forgot as well was i was ironically my best question and um yeah I, I, again I, but i've noticed on a lot of interviews when he gets asked a good question he always says that but i don't think he's i don't think he's trying to make you feel comfortable as a tactic i think it's just the way he actually is when he hmm. says that's a good question he's not saying even though he's, i've heard him say it on other interviews He's saying it because he genuinely believes it's a good question. And whilst that sounds obvious, you know, I'm not casting aspersions on anyone previously, but there's sometimes where you know that the things that they're saying or the things that they're doing are a little disingenuous. They're, they're, it's going through the motions. And they might be saying it heartfelt and they might be saying, I mean this, and I might be doing that. And that. But just from one person to another, you know when somebody says something that they mean or when somebody says something that they should be saying. And I felt everything Michael Scobar said from the moment he sat down with us to the moment he shook our hands and walked away was absolutely genuine. And I wouldn't say it if I didn't feel it or I didn't believe it. So, yeah, right. We ought to we ought to wrap up because we will be about 110 minutes, which or 110 minutes, an hour and 10 minutes, which isn't too bad. Um, So we're not doing a podcast on Sunday, but the monthly show is going live on Sunday. So that's something to tune into on YouTube if you wish. Uh, But other than that, we've got a little bit of a break until Tuesday. I'm not sure. I think we're doing a preview. Charlie, I think, is doing a preview for the knockout game for the Accrington. We won't be covering that on a podcast at all. We will be back with you next Thursday, where we will be looking back on the BSM trophy game at Accrington and looking ahead to a really tough game um, against the Wigan side, who I think are just about comparable with us in points per game, except for the fact, of course, that they've had many deducted. Chris and I will be in the pub tomorrow night, um, along with a lot of other people, but I have no doubt at all. When Chris lays his head on his pillow this evening, the first thing he's going to be thinking about is Michael Scavala saying to him, that's a good question, because honestly, Christmas is coming. There isn't a child in the land who can open a present that will give them as much joy as Chris got from that. Ladies, gentlemen, boys and girls, we've been brilliant. We are the Stacey West Podcast. Um, Up the imps. Up the imps. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching the imps on iFollow. You've got your McNugget share boxes on the go. Your mate's already got booked for double dipping, but then you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. 
Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.